0: It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reason Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reason.
1: Welcome to The Kathleen Reason Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reason, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And today, I know every week I say, this is the best show yet. But today we've got an even uh, the best show because I have someone here that he is known to other people as Dr. Finnerty. So he spent his life studying neuroscience, the brain. He was a professor at many universities, but Des Moines University being the latest one where you were 30 years there. And he studied. One of the things I say many, many times is he'll forget more each day about the brain than I will ever know. And so I, I could go on and on about the accolades that he has received. And the, the the way that I reference him outside of the professional world is I call him dad, because he's also my dad. Uh, but he's known to other people as professor, as a teacher, as Dr. Finnerty. So dad, thank you for being on here today.
2: You're welcome, Kathleen. I'm happy to be here. Yes.
1: Yeah, so we are, we are talking all about neuroscience, the brain, and really joy. This is our sixth week of joy. We've been studying joy in so many different aspects. So if you want to hear any of the past episodes, you can go on and listen to those. But today we're talking about joy and, and emotions and neuroscience, the brain. So let's start out today. Just can you give an overview first of the brain? Well, we are, obviously we all have a brain, hopefully. <laughs> well, one thing you'll even share, you have brains at home.
2: Oh, sure. So <laughs> It so, never hurts to have an extra.
1: That, see, I, I grew up hearing this. You got to have extra brains. So we have brains at home. That's how I learned about the brain. But can you give an overview to everybody else that doesn't have brains at home on the function of the brain?
2: Well, first of all, everybody has a brain. Now, Not everybody uses it, but that's a whole different, different story. But when you, when you look at the, the brain and the nervous system, it's the, it's the master controller, if you will, the, the central processing unit. To use computer terms for, for the whole body. The brain is the is the, the top part of it. And, and we can break the brain down into several regions. You have what's called your frontal lobe, which is up here. And and we're going to talk a lot about that today, but that's where that's where executive functions, higher processing occurs. In the very back is the occipital lobe. And that's where information from your eyes is perceived as vision. And we put meaning to that. And it starts here at this occipital lobe kind of works up. So you got executive function, vision. Here in the center part is is what we call the uh, parietal lobe. Now the parietal area is for making sense of sensory information and also for motor control. So the brain can control the rest of the body, make our hands move, our fingers, my, my jaws jabber, move back and forth and so I can make noise. So that's all here in the parietal. And then we have an area called the temporal lobe, which would be right behind your ear and then the temporal, you know, part of the temporal body in here. And, and that we're gonna talk about because that's what we call the li- part of the limbic system. And the limbic system is involved in emotions and memory and, and putting a context to things. Now, below that we have at the base of the back of the brain is the cerebellum. The cerebellum is is very much involved in motor control. So if you appear in that parietal lobe, say I wanna lift my left arm. Well, then it sends signals to the cerebellum. The cerebellum says, okay, this is what we gotta do in order to lift that left arm. And then it will send signals down. And then the spinal cord is basically, think of it as a coaxial cable with information going up and information coming down. And in this case, I wanted to lift my left arm, so it's gonna have, the cerebellum is gonna process where my arm is to start with, where it wants to go in the end, and then how to get my arm to do it. And it sends all those signals down to neurons in the spinal cord at the right level, and thus the muscles get activated and I can move my left arm. So that's the, that's a nervous system in a nutshell.
1: So, nervous system in a nutshell, right there. But let's think about specifically emotions. When I talk about emotions, how do you describe that from a neuroscience perspective?
2: Well, the the emotions are a perception, and 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 they're different from feelings. You have emotions and you have feelings. Emotions, think of that as being just kind of a perception, uh, a real subjective kind of a thing that uh, is, is geared to to joy, happiness, pleasure, uh, fear. Those are probably the two big ones, pleasure and fear. And then emanating from those with fear, there's anxiety and and anger and things of that nature with emanating on that that pleasure side is uh, well everything you can think of. Couple of things to keep in mind is when we talk about emotions and then feelings, the reaction to those emotions, the, the body's response, we always want to keep in mind how the how the whole system was designed in the first place. And, and to that, we've got to think of ourselves as simply a biological entity, a biological being, no different than, than uh, a squirrel or a, uh, a muskrat. Don't like to think of that, but a muskrat or an ant even. And and all those beings, they really exist for one thing and one thing only. And that is for propagation of species. Now it's pretty crude and we'd like to think as being human beings, we're a little beyond that, but but that's the basic inert biology to it. And in order for that to occur, we have to have survival. We have to survive. So the whole system, the nervous system and then emanating from that the rest of the body, it's all geared for survival. Now that means a lot of things, food, We've got to have nourishment in order to keep our bodies operating to survive. So food, water, uh, safety, and security. That's why we're we're social beings. We're a lot safer in a pack than we are alone. So now we see this, this social networking developing. So everything is geared for survival. Now, when we get into emotions, we've got to stop and think a minute and And here we're gonna go back in time a ways. When I was in graduate school, the general feeling was that that pleasure was kind of an extra and that the the negative emotions were most important. And if you think about it, that that really kind of makes sense. We're we're more geared to being attuned to things that could harm us than to things that are good for us. Because yeah, it's good for us. Okay, that's all nice and fine. We'll figure that out. But if it's harmful for us, then, then we're done. The the reality is we've got both systems operating together in much the same way. But there is a little bit of a, I'm gonna say a negative bias in the sense that our system is a little more attuned and more sensitive to those negative things. But at the same time, we do have this strong positive reward circuitry within the nervous system. I wanna mention uh, an article and I think, Kathleen will have it posted in, in some way for everybody. But there's a paper by, it's called Neuroscience of Well-Being. And it's by, the authors are Dol, Dolkos, Dolcos, D-O-L-C-O-S, uh, Sandra Dolcos. She's at the University of Illinois. Uh, her co-authors are uh, Moore and Katsumi. And uh, the title her, again, is Neuroscience of Well-Being. It's, it's a chapter out of a book, handbook of well-being. Uh, and it's, it's a really good very readable summary of of the whole concept of of the relationship to neurobiology, the basis for our behavior. Uh, We've talked about this this goal, this uh, perpetuation, propagation of species and survival. Uh, Understand that the nervous system is is designed to both reinforce certain behaviors, and in in a negative sense, turn off or, or avoid certain behaviors. Uh, so if we've got this thing built in. We also have something that's important and that is memory. Uh, we'll talk about different parts of the brain. The hippocampus is, is central to the limbic system. It's central to processing and putting a context in, in information. Uh, it's very important in telling us where we are in space. And when I say in space, you know, I know that I'm in Kathleen's office at her desk. Well, I could walk into here blindfolded because my hippocampus knows where I am and where I'm, what the layout of the room is. So that's important there. So again, those memories. Another one is the, the, what was called neuroplasticity, the the plastic nature of the nervous system. Now, when I was in graduate school, if I had said that the nervous system could create new neurons, they probably would have burned me at the stake because that was heretical. But now we know that that's not the case that the neuron nervous system does in fact create new neurons it can grow them it's very judicious because you know you've got this this brain box a cranium and it's a fixed space so we can't just let the brain get bigger and bigger because it's going to run out of volume so it's very judicious in how it creates new neurons but it does create new neurons. More importantly, it's how the neurons communicate with one another, the the network. So one neuron communicating with another and how they reinforce that synaptic network. That can change. And it changes throughout life. So the old adage, you can't teach a dog new tricks, that is not true. You can teach a dog new tricks. If it's an old dog like myself, it might take a little more work, but our brain is changing all the time and we can change it. And we change it to experience. And that is a very, very important concept that I hope everybody takes away with, that their brain can change. As a matter of fact, by the time we're done, I would like to think that we have changed everybody's brain. Kind of scary thought when you think about it, if you knew me. <laughs>
1: well, I think mean, mean, there's the fear there of, is there a way to change your brain for the better or for the worse? How do you even say that, that's, that one would be changing it for the better or for the worse? It's really about your brain can just change. That's true.
2: But then think about what it is that you want to accomplish. Um, I, I'm, I like history. I like to read history. I just finished a book on Daniel Boone and, and you know, the opening of the, the frontier, frontier being just west to the Appalachian Mountains. Well, I learned some things in there that I didn't know before. So I've changed my brain, mm-hmm. and it was good because I've learned something new, and I enjoyed that. It. So it's 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 like anything else, you know. It's it's it is what it is. How you do it and why you do it is important. Uh, if you wanna if you wanna deal with life and you find ways to to deal with life and they help you in in a positive way in the sense that you're doing things that help others as well as help yourself then that, that's good.
1: Yeah. And so I don't know, we'll necessarily get into this today, but when you say that you're supporting yourself in a, in a positive way, we have the, the opposite, the addictions, which can, can make you feel good, but they don't necessarily support you or others around you. So do you want to just quickly cover that we've got addictions and some of those other ways that make you feel better, but they're not really supportive?
2: Well, let's, let's kind of run through a couple of things. Number one, your title you know, of your system is joy. Mm-hmm. As, as a neuroscientist, a physiologist, we have a real hard time coming up with the term joy because that's a, a nebulous subjective thing. So we'll use the term pleasure. So we'll use pleasure as a proxy for joy because obviously, if you're not having some kind of pleasure, you can't have joy. Um, we have two components to this subjective sense of well being which is a part of that pleasure in in the life. One is hedonia. And that is is, is the positive, let me say a positive affect, a a satisfaction with life. And then we have, and I'll not pronounce it right, but eudaimonia. And this is life experience and making some uh, purpose or meaningfulness in in life. Now, emotions, we've said that they're a subjective sense. They can be your fear, anger, uh, pleasure, security, things of that nature. Feelings are the physiological responses to those. So if I have a feel, if I have an emotion of anger, my blood pressure changes, my heart rate changes, things of that nature, those are the feelings, okay? Now, when we talk about these emotions, because the feelings, they're sympathetic, parasympathetic responses, somatic responses, all that is emanating out from that spinal cord out to the rest of the body. But within the brain, we have those emotions and, and that's where the limbic system comes in, that temporal lobe, that area in here, and then core structures and also what I want to call the frontal cortex, but especially the prefrontal. So I can take the frontal cortex and kind of divide it into, into simple areas. Also, we have an area in the temporal lobe called the amygdala. And this is well attuned uh, first to, to assessing negative features, especially fear. So the amygdala is real real crucial for that, but it also has regions in it that are sensitive to positive emotions. So the pleasure circuitry, if you will. And then all these connections, the amygdala goes into the hippocampus and that's where, among other things, we're gonna produce memories. And memories are very important because we wanna remember what was good and what was bad so that we can avoid what was bad and negative and promote what was good. And this uses a, uh, the neurotransmitter dopamine. And I promised Kathleen, I wouldn't go into a lot of detail on the structures, but I think it's helpful to, to mention a few of them. Uh, should we keep going or is it break? Well, you
1: know, we'll go on a quick break. And when we get back, we'll actually go in, we'll follow up with that concept and just continue on the whole conversation about dopamine and, and really what that is and why, what, what purpose that serves, if any. So you guys are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. We will be back here just after this quick break.
0: Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com.
2: eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email Host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com.
0: Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. And we are here today talking all about the brain and joy and other emotions and how those correlate. I have Dr. Finnerty here with us. We've been talking for the last 15 minutes. I call him dad. You guys can call him dad or Dr. Finnerty or whatever you want, but Dr. Finnerty here. And he is telling us all about dopamine right before we ended dopamine on the brain. So do you want to continue that thought?
2: Well, I, I'd like to, and and let's just kind of hold dopamine up there. We're going to come back to it a little bit, but I don't want to get a whole lot. I don't want to get really stuck in a lot of details. That being said, I am going to mention some terms and, and locations, but the functions that they're associated with are probably more important. Now, I mentioned the amygdala. The amygdala is, is here in that temporal lobe, and it's well attuned to, I'm going to call negative emotions, negative contact processing of negative or putting a negative context to sensory information, especially to fear. And and again, that's very important for survival. But it also has a section of it that is pretty sensitive to, to positive things as well. And then its connection is with the hippocampus. And the hippocampus, among other things, is very important in terms of making memories. And again, think back, the basic operation is designed to promote survival. So if something is not good, if it is, is threatening to us, we want to remember that situation, the location, the campus, place cells, whatever the, the, the triggers, the everything that's surrounded that, because we want to avoid that in the future. On the other hand, if there's something that is good, we find a location that's very rich in, in good strawberries. We want to remember where that place is, because we want to go back there when we're hungry. So the, the, these systems now are gonna start working together to, to help us format that uh, survival. The, the emotional processing also involves other areas. For example, the frontal cortex, that area up here, but we have an area to the front of it that's called the prefrontal cortex. So now I'm subdividing things a little bit. And the prefrontal cortex is involved in planning and organizing and executive type behaviors. Now, the interesting thing about the prefrontal cortex is it has a lot of, uh, of I'm going to negative controls or breaks on other behaviors. I like to say that the prefrontal cortex is where your mother resides. Remember how your mother said <laughs> not to do certain things? Well, that's where she is. She's telling you not to do certain things. You know, so so that's the prefrontal. Wait, you
1: say that like my mom said that. <laughs>
2: uh i well i know your mom said that but but i have yet to find a mother i don't care whose mother it is but any mother that doesn't give the same lectures
1: so you're saying that in my children my voice is, is resonating in their head there that's why they hear me when people say absolutely i heard you tell me not to do this but i did it anyway it's that part of brain. that's right okay. that's
2: right absolutely And then we have what was called the medial prefrontal cortex, and that's processing information about yourself and your others. And it involves uh, uh, regulating emotions and emotional decision-making. So keep in mind, this is an area that is, is identifying you. It's telling you who you are and who you are in relation to others and how you see yourself in others. And it has an emotional regulatory type thing. And again, think about this negative thing. Well, you may not like somebody, but you have to work with them. And you can still work with them because you can control those emotions. Or you may have somebody that says something that is so blatantly just against, you know, you you just want to scream or something. But, you know, now is not the time. It's not appropriate at this point. And there's better ways to deal with it. Maybe if I take him aside and talk to him. So now you have to dampen those, those strong emotions which you may be feeling. So that's, that's a part of that area. Then what we call the orbital prefrontal cortex. So now we're still in this prefrontal area, but we're around the orbits. So around the eye, I'm not scratching. I'm trying to highlight my eye. I've got glasses, so what can I say? And this is part of the pleasure and happiness circuit. Um, this is is, is well-being. Uh, this area is going to take input from both extraceptors. So these are like vision and auditory and, and tactile and, and what have you. Smells taste. And that's external sensory information. It's going to process it and put a context to it. This is happy. this is good. I like it. That smell that comes in of the turkey at Thanksgiving time as well as internal sensation. So we have not only our, our vision and auditory and, 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 and taste and smell, we, don't, we have those senses that are sensing stimuli from outside, but we also have our internal sensors that are telling us what our blood pressure is, what's our heart rate. So all of these types of things, where our joints are, those types also send information and it can uh, process and put a context to that. Uh, The inferior uh, frontal cortex, so this is the bottom part of that frontal cortex. And and that's gonna be an area that that is gonna release inhibitions uh, and and then part of an uh, emotional uh, regulation. And you have the, uh, and think of this as these inhibitory circuits are putting brakes on behaviors and so it can release and it's gonna control the degree of braking that is there. So in that sense. Uh, the anterior cingulate cortex. So the anterior cingulate is an area. So I got the frontal cortex, but now I'm on the inside of the brain. Think of the two hemispheres. So the anterior is gonna be this area in here, this being that, that whole hemisphere. So it'll be on this side, and there's one on this side. And, and that area is going to make connections from the prefrontal cortex, this anterior cingulate portion, if you will, And then into the amygdala, and it's going to have an integrative role. So it's going to kind of put everything together, and then it's going to go into the amygdala, and it can get assigned more types of things. And this is very much involved in that self regulation and a reward mechanism. And reward, put reward in the sense of pleasure. Reward is good job. You know, there's one of the things that we don't do enough of is, is what I call attaboys. You know telling somebody that they did a good job so give them an attaboy at a boy get it huh okay so uh so give it these attaboys well that's reward and and believe it or not people really really value attaboys the reward has a strong positive effect
1: we actually uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about joy and one of the links to it being a, a harmony uh, an acknowledgement. So knowing where, what your role is, but then also acknowledgement, which is really what we're talking about right. here is the value of that saying, hey, I recognize that you did a great job. So this is great because we're, we're seeing that connection of where those acknowledgements are so powerful. And then this is the science behind it as to why. So you guys, I wasn't full of it a few weeks ago and I was saying acknowledgement is important. Like this is the science.
2: Now think back again to survival. And let's say that strawberry field. That's still strawberries are important nutrition for survival. And if you activate that reward system, then your nervous system is telling your brain, the whole body, these are good. Remember this place because you want to come back there. You want another attaboy. You want that recognition, that good feeling. So that's very important. Uh, On the other hand, you've got, uh, I'm going to say punishment. Now, we use the term punishment and in and psychology, neuropsychology, they talk about punishment, but, but that's just the negative side. Uh, and, and, and think of that as being a disincentive. If where you go is where the saber-toothed tiger lives and he likes those strawberries too, then you want to pay attention to not be around when there are signs of the saber-toothed tiger because that's not good. So I want to have a disincentive or that reward when the saber tooth tiger is present. And I gotta pay attention to when he might. be. So, you know, that would be that, that negative side. Uh, the interesting thing is that the left prefrontal cortex seems to be more predominant in dealing with positive affects. So in other words, the, the, the positive emotions, the positive feelings, whereas the right side is, is more predominant with the negative affects, the withdrawal, avoidance type behaviors, those types of things. So we have really some, some interesting types of, of, of processing and how the brain is able to separate the two and you have these different circuits and they're, they're operating at the same time and in and, and tandem and they're interrelated, but there's a bias maybe towards one or the other at any given point in time or state. And also we can modify them. We can change them. We can pay more attention to one versus the other. Uh, We can can promote one, so to speak. Uh, The insula is another area. It's between the frontal lobe and the temporal lobe. And and it's going to be an emotional processing. And especially in the terms of uh, connects or contacts to the internal state, those feelings. So now we can associate these things together. And this becomes kind of, interesting because you can you don't have to have some external stimuli to get you upset. You can just think about being upset. And now suddenly your blood pressure goes up, everything goes on down. You know, it's not good. On the other hand, you can think about good things. And and here you're you're dealing with the same process. You go into the doctor's office and they're going to take your blood pressure. Now you can do what I do. I always go to my happy place I think about sitting on a beach or you know in a chair overlooking a lake and it's calm it's cool it's wonderful I take a deep breath and relax and I bring my blood pressure down a little bit so then when they take it you know she said oh your blood pressure is really good yeah I so hope you're it playing is playing the system well okay I'm playing the system but I'll do that other times too I mean it, it I'm I Sometimes I I have difficulties falling asleep and I lay there and so I just kind of close my eyes and just go nowhere and do nothing. I mean, just force myself to to go to that place where I know I can relax. And the next thing I know, I open my eyes and the sun's out or at least it's getting light. I shouldn't say the sun's out yet, but it's getting light and I've slept all night. So you can control those things.
1: And what you're talking about, really another word for it would be like a meditation or a mindfulness practice in really just calming yourself
2: absolutely and it's a lot cheaper it doesn't cost you a cent and we've been doing it all our lives and and we learned we learned to do this you know before kindergarten but let trust me you all learned about this in kindergarten you learn to take a step back take a deep breath and count to 10 what are you doing? You're just controlling your emotions. You're, you're trying to put a balance between those positive and negative ones. You know, Joey was playing with that truck and you wanted to play with it. Finally, you learned Well, Just count to 10, Joey gets bored and he goes off and now you got the truck to yourself.
1: So we learned how to control our minds in kindergarten, probably even earlier. I, don't know, I was probably like in preschool that <laughs> you were teaching it to me, whether I learned it or not is
2: story. I can tell about how we got you to preschool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's another show. But uh, we're going to go on a quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation. We've actually got all kinds of questions that people have submitted. And we're going to go through these and and just answer all kinds of stuff. It's all across the board on emotional intelligence, neuroscience, all these effects on the brain. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Enjoy this quick break.
0: Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com.
2: How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store.
0: Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program
1: welcome back to the kathleen recent show pushing the boundaries of leadership i'm your host kathleen Reeson, and we're here on inspired choices network and today we have been talking with my dad dr finnerty who's a neuroscientist and has been talking all about emotions and joy and pleasure as we've been calling it and the effects of these emotions on our brains and really understanding the science so you guys know i've, I've been talking for the last few weeks all about joy but but i really want to just draw this connection here So the stuff that we've been talking about, there's actually science behind it. So I'm not full of it. I think that's my biggest takeaway from today. Uh, but for all of you, it's really understanding that there's science behind all of this as to how we show up the way that we do. Uh, wh- when we go into the workplace, we just talked a little bit ago about how to actually shift our emotions. And so we're going to dig into a question about stress. So the question is, what is stress and is it all bad?
2: Well, stress is actually good. That being said, it's like everything else in moderation. If if you look at a a how stress affects behaviors, let's say thinking, cognitive behaviors, but even even, you know, motor behaviors, you see the same thing. It's an inverted U. So it's let me go that way. It's an upside down you. So a little bit of stress you're doing better. A little bit of stress and you're doing better. A little bit of stress and you're really doing better. It helps you focus things. It helps you concentrate on things because you, you have this, I'm going to say this fear of doing wrong. Of, of you've got to succeed. So a little bit of stress is good. Then you reach a peak. Now That's the optimum. On the other side now, stress begins to see a decrement. If I put too much stress on you and you're trying to do some manual uh procedure you start to shake so you have these somatic manifestations well if if you're if you're a surgeon and you're going to be doing some kind of fine surgery on the heart or what have you and you start shaking that's not a good sign you know that's almost like saying oops you know you don't ever want to say that in surgery so a little bit of stress is good stress in moderation is good too much stress is bad and too much stress for a long period of time, or just stress for a long period of time. is not only bad, it is truly detrimental. It can damage the brain. What happens there is the amygdala goes into overdrive. And so remember the amygdala is driving the hippocampus. Is that dopamine in there? Well, now you're driving the hippocampus and that guy's firing and then he's responding and, and, and you're, promoting the release of cortisol and cortisol is, is a stress hormone. And again, it's, it's good in a little bit, but too much richest part of the nervous system in terms of receptors for cortisol is the hippocampus. And literally what happens is I think the simplest way to say it is you burn the cells out. They die. If I looked at the brain of a man who served in Vietnam, and had spent most of his time in combat, so in a combat zone. That man is not in control of anything during that period. And I relate to Vietnam because that's what I know. I mean, you could do the same thing for Iraq or, or Afghanistan. If I look at the volume of his hippocampus, it will be dramatically smaller than my volume. And if I look at the behaviors, this poor guy's got uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. and I can relate the behaviors that you see with PTSD with that decrease in volume the hippocampus, and this is related to stress. Now, here's the interesting thing. I have really, really high degree of confidence in that because I can take and see the same thing in animal models where I put them in stress. And I see the same change in the hippocampus there. So to my stress, at least from the nervous system, just one little area, that being the hippocampus, it's gonna cause damage. And remember, hippocampus is important in memories. So now this guy, forget all the other cognitive things, he's not even able to make good memories.
1: So you, I know this this isn't in your, your biography that we wrote online, if you guys look it up, but you did a lot of research on rats. Uh-huh. How, and we have a rat brain at your house, you have a rat brain. How similar is the rat brain from a functionality perspective to the human brain?
2: In, in the broadest contents, they're the same. They're the same in the sense that the, the frontal cortex is involved in certain aspects, the cerebellum, limbic, you know, it, the, the devil's in the details, all right? Now, the, the rat is a good model you know, the rat nervous system is a good model for humans, but there are a whole lot of things that are different as well. So you, you know, I can't just say just because it works here will mean it'll work here. But if I see something that's work, that's, that's operating or, or changing or what have you in the rat, I look at where those regions are and then I move them up to the next level of them the mammalian system, a little more complex system, a little more complex. And now I'm building blocks. So they're all very, very similar and very different at the same time. So it's it's like putting pieces of puzzle together. I've got a clue here and I've got a clue there. And those clues can tell me things about unlocking the secrets down the road.
1: Well, you studied in apes too. right? How uh, similar are those? I did,
2: I did some... Yes, I've uh, more observational studies and in, in, in with apes. And, uh, but I, I don't I've, you know, I've looked at humans and uh, it's, you see, it, with behaviors, if you can interpret them and, and we can use human behaviors to help us get you a know, guide as to what we think the rat must be doing or why they're doing it. Uh, you know, who knows, we may find in the end that the rat was doing things for whole different reasons than we thought. And, you know, who knows, but, uh, but there are clues. I mean, the, the animal model is that it's a good model and it gives us ideas on where to go look when we look at humans and, and, and other animals. Um, uh, one of the things that I wanted to, to mention briefly, and, you know, you talked about stress, but you've mentioned addictive behaviors before. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we want to keep in mind is that we have pleasure and then we have to reinforce from that pleasure in terms of motivation.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now pleasure is think about that as you like something and it has to do with the present. I like I like lemon drops. You know, I like the flavor of the lemon, I like lemon, lemon anything, lemon cake, lemon pie, what have you. So I like that. Now that is opioid mediated. I say opioid because you know internally we have a neurotransmitters and neuromodulators these endogenous opioids, uh, metenkeflin, leucine enkephalin, dynorphin, beta endorphin. all
1: oh, those different types of opioids. Those, are all, different <laughs> <Okay. little>. those <laughs> are all different
2: little types. Okay, Okay. It. Uh, But, but be that as a base, we have these opioids and in particular it's metenkeflin is, is the one that's mediating this. So they kind of drive this, this reward, this pleasure circuit. And it involves, it, it's an area in the middle of the brain, deep in the core. Uh, the nucleus accumbens and the ventral pallidum area. And you know that, those, okay, those are nice terms. I know those terms, big deal. Uh, but there's this, this, if you will, this pleasure circuit. Then we have a motivation circuit. Now they're overlapped, they're interrelated, but they're different. And motivation is wanting something. And now it's not so much the present, but it's the future. I want to recreate a pleasure that I had in the past that was present at that moment. So I want to recreate it. So that's that motivation. So now it's the incentive. I want this. So what's my incentive? It's my incentive for those behaviors to get that again. So it's a future expectation. Now, you can like some, you can want something and not like it. But when I say you don't like it, you don't like it because the context of it is not good. You could be an alcoholic. You want that glass. You want that whiskey. You want to drink it. You really want it. Your body likes it, but upstairs in that frontal cortex part, you know that it's not good. You know that it's not good for you. You know that the outcome is going to be bad. So I don't really like it, but I really want it. And if you put a glass in front of a a strong, you know, deep alcoholic, they're going to have a real hard time not taking it. Let's not to say that they can't. It takes a lot of willpower, if you will. But that's the difference between liking and wanting. So liking and wanting are two different things, but they're interrelated. Um, and, and and they involve the mesolimbic system, though the wanting aspect is more dopamine So when you talked about addiction before, that's what addiction is. And addiction is not necessarily a substance. Addiction can be behavior. Some people thrive on stress and and excitement. And so that's their, that behavior drove that motivational system. And and so they got a lot of stuff there. So we've talked about stress.
1: Yeah. So a couple of the other questions that we have, some of them are, are interrelated What is brain spotting and is it supportive?
2: Well, brain spotting is the idea of brain spotting is it's it's tied with with eye movements. And the idea is that you you look at a certain spot in space and and conjure up those negative memories, feelings, emotions, what have you. Bring them all together. So when I look at that spot. I'm, a, I'm attuning that eye movement with, with certain memories. Mm-hmm. Now I look at a different spot in space. So I move my eyes to a different direction and then I conjure up good stuff, my happy place. So what you, the therapist will have you do is when you, when you experience something that brings on that trigger that brings on those negative feelings, Move your eyes to the other spot. Well, if you look at brain spotting, it, it's only effective when you've got a good therapist working with you. Okay. And that therapist is, is getting you to accept and recognize these bad memories, you know, triggers, what have you, those, those bad things. And then they're working with you on a way to cope with them. Now, this is my perspective. Does eye movements have anything to do with it? Not in the least.
1: So you're talking about, it's really about the therapy, the talk it's, therapy. It's, it's about, about the it.
2: therapy. Yeah. Now, that being said, do I discount it? Does it not work? Hey, I've never been through it. Uh, and I am sure that for some people, it works. When, when I was in, in, in younger days, We had a general rule for antidepressants and the rule was a rule of threes. Third of the people with severe endogenous depression. So I'm not talking about reactive depression. I'm talking about, you know, that they, they really have severe depression. Third of the people will get better no matter what you do. A third of the people with some type of therapy will get better. And a third of the people are not going to respond to anything you do. Now, that third that's not responding to anything you can do is probably because we don't know what to do or we're not very effective in what we were doing. Uh, but it was, there was something inherently such that you couldn't change it. So that was where we got this rule of threes. And I'm convinced that with, with everything, that, that first group, they'll get better no matter what you do. Uh, it, it just, you do something even whether it's truly effective or not, the fact that you're paying attention to them, that you're, you're acknowledging that they've got a problem, that's, that's a big, big therapeutic effect right there. So to say it doesn't work, I'm not gonna go that far. Uh, to say it's, it's all hocus pocus, I'm not gonna go that far. I do always tell my students, you know, I've got these little, uh, what I call Infinity's feel good append tablets, and I'll sell them to you $50 a piece, and these things are a magical cure for whatever ails you. Well, if you're willing to plunk down $50 for a lifesaver, you've got to believe that it's going to work. <laughs> and if you believe it works, it'll work. And it's going to work. <laughs> That's the placebo effect. But, but I'm not saying that brain spotting is a placebo. I'm just saying that from a, a physiolog- neurophysiological perspective, I, I cannot understand a basis for it. Does it work therapeutically? I'm not going to dock it. But okay. If it does, go for it.
1: Well, so we have a few more questions, but we're going to take a really quick break. You are listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership, and we will be back here in just a second.
0: Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com welcome back to the kathleen Reason show pushing the boundaries of leadership to participate in the program join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com now back to the program
1: welcome back to the kathleen Reason show pushing the boundaries of leadership i'm kathleen Reason. we've been here for the last 45 minutes talking about emotions and neuroscience and how they relate so we have another question from the audience. It says, when our emotional intelligence shifts, does it shift our facial, facial or fascial? facial, Fascial. Fascial. Does it shift our fascial system throughout the body? So when our emotional intelligence shifts, does it shift our fascial system throughout the body?
2: Well, the fact that they're using the term fascial system, whoever asked this, has got to be some kind of physical therapist.
1: Massage. She's a masseuse. Okay.
2: Well, that's, that's a type of physical therapist, I guess. Um, I would use the word somatic as opposed to fascial. Fascial has to do with the, the fascia, the, the, the muscles and the, the soft tissue. Somatic is just, you know, muscles, our bones, how we move our bones, that type of thing. And, and I use a broader sense of the, the, the somatic, but it's, you know, the fascial is part of that. And, and the answer to that is absolutely. Remember I said feelings and emotions. Emotions are... That subjective sense, the feelings are the somatic response to it. So the autonomic and the, you know the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, how they react to it. Our parasympathetics can react. Uh, we can turn them on or off. I can raise and lower my heart rate. Think about this. Try this sometime. But you just if you got one of those little smarty smarty watches? I have a dumb watch. It, it you know. It's, has the hands and stuff. But if you've got one of the smarty watches, put it on there and put it to your heart rate and just kind of set it off somewhere. This is an example of biofeedback. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about really being angry. And I want you to imagine your heart, picture your heart and have it go as fast as it can. See if you can raise your heart rate. And then if if you don't feel a pounding in your chest, you can look at the old smarty watch and see what your heart rate is. And I'll bet you can raise it real easy. Now, once it gets up there, I want you to go to that happy place. I don't know where your happy place is. You know, maybe it's in the woods, looking at trees or something. But just relax. And I want you to see your heart in your chest and now make it go, don't, don't, slow it down. You can do it. On the one hand, you had some negative emotions, and the feelings, you saw a somatic response. Happy, positive emotions, the feelings were parasympathetic, slow the heart rate down. So the answer to that is, is yes. If you can change your, your mindset, your emotional state, you in turn can change those Feelings that are associated with that, so the uh, it's absolutely true, and it, it goes beyond that. Even <clears throat> think about optimism. You have this optimistic state about you. If you want to talk, look at a guy that had an optimistic state. Who is true optimist? Read uh, "Thunder and Treasure" about Daniel Boone. You look at what this guy went through, what he had lost, and yet he still wanted to go out. And he still wanted to emigrate and populate that frontier. He'd lost everything. He'd lost three or four treasures. And he had lost, you know, his children. He lost his brothers. And yet he was still excited about going out there and taking people out there and settling and, and working with the, the, the natives, the, the, the Indians that were out there at the time. So, you know, that's optimism. But Optimism, you're looking at a favorable outcome regarding some future event. If you can have that mindset, what you find is that people that have have this optimistic character about them, you've got better coping skills. They're more resilient. And if you want to find people who have had to deal with coping and resilience, look at yourself and look at everybody around you. We've just been through this this world pandemic, some areas of the country world. Aren't even through it yet. Who's surviving and who is, is thriving? People that are coping with it and have good coping skills, people that are resilient and optimistic. They've got the pendulum is going to swing and it's going to swing back again. So we just got to keep looking at that. You know, come what may. Uh, so that's you know that's an important thing. Optimists have what can be skir- described as a sunny brain. Their, their pleasure their record, reward circuits you know they're they've got that positive bias on the other hand you got pessimists and they've got the rainy brains and and they're they're more on that right side of that prefrontal cortical circuits and and they're always looking at the negative side of things i don't like the term sunny and rainy because i kind of like rainy days every now and then not all the time but i do like rainy days it helps my grass grow uh, so, there's nothing wrong with rain. So, I don't like this, you know, that analogy, but, but that's an important thing to keep in mind. So, what we're talking about is the, the bias of the system. You've got the, the positive side, the positive circuitry, and you have the negative circuitry. And depending upon circumstances, you might want to be a little more attuned to one than the other. If it's a dark and rainy night and you're hearing spooky noises, You want that negative bias to be on top. You want to be more sensitive to those things. Something goes, you know, bump in the night, you want to pay attention to it. On the other hand, most of the time, you like to have that optimism, that positive bias. So you can change these. Kathleen uses this term. She's got these questions, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is recognizing where you are, what your emotional state is, and how to adjust those accordingly. Sometimes you might be in a circumstance where the negative bias is real high, but in order to be effective, you got to tamp it down. Emotional regulation. There's a circuit. Activate that circuit, and you you know you don't have to constantly say, okay I got to activate this you know my medial prefrontal cortex and the left side. Just tell me you don't have to be going to that detail. Just think I'm going to think good thoughts. I'm going to think good things about this person. I'm not going to attack them today because it won't do any good. I'll have a conversation with them tomorrow. So you're working on this side because tomorrow I'm going to be optimistic. I can get through to them. So I will, I'll take that approach.
1: So we are, we could spend the next few hours just continuing. We have a whole other list of questions, but our show has come to an end. And I thank you. So much for being a part of today. We have one
2: question we have to address.
1: <laughs> one question. Okay. Does the universe, No. How? how does the universe work?
2: And the answer to that is very simple. 42.
1: <laughs> so all kinds <laughs> of more stuff coming, but 42 is the answer. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you guys later. Thank you for listening Bye-bye. to the Bye. Kathleen Reason
0: Show. Pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reason will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com Have a great week.